I am a former educator, so I have a background in early childhood education, and my views changed slightly after I had children and started raising them and started looking at careers and uh, world life experiences differently. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Several times every week, I get the same question. It's a question that I have a lot to say about. It's also a question that... I find is you know, personally very connected to, to me and what I believe in. Also, at the same time, it's not necessarily something that you know, we help with in a lot of different ways. What is that question? Well, <laughs> it's what should kids do? Or what even should we do about kids to help them prepare and focus on their future careers? And Not only do I get this question a lot, I find that when I give my answer, it's drastically different than what other people expect to say. I think a lot of people expect that I should uh, say something along the lines of take a certain test or go through this set of skills. These are going to be the most in-demand skills coming up. And that's not it. That's not my advice at all. And in this episode, we delve into exactly what you should do to prepare kids, possibly even your kids for their career in the best possible way, backed by science, backed by research. All that coming for you in just a little bit here. But first, I want to introduce my guest to help me delve into this discussion and also my partner in crime in raising our own children and helping our kids have their own career experiments and prepare them for their careers. Welcome back to the Happen to Your Career podcast, Alyssa Barlow. Hello. Hello. Great to have you back on here. Thank you. This is getting to be a regular thing. It's awesome. it's kind of crazy. Maybe too regular. Maybe too regular. A <laughs> uh, little bit of context. Uh, Alyssa has been behind the scenes at Happen to Your Career since the very, very beginning. And also occasionally with a lot of convincing has come on to the, the public side and shared much of what she's done and her experiences behind the scenes. Now, I think it's no more fit. It's, it is most fitting that you're here to chat about what we do with our own children and how we live some of this advice that I'm about to share with kids and careers. So something that I've never asked you first, do you get asked this question or is it only me? Um, I think people who know that we run a career business tend to ask more questions frequently about careers in general. But yes, I have been asked on what we are doing to prepare our kids for the next steps, I guess. The pressure is on. Right. Like we run this careers-focused <laughs> business, so we should probably do it perfectly, right? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We don't do it perfectly, but we do have a pretty significant head start because we get to see every single day uh, people many, many years later and what's worked out for them, what hasn't worked out for them, a lo- access to a lot of the people and uh, people that are doing research and the research itself that not everybody has necessarily. So on those notes, here's the way that 
love to tee it up. I actually got a, got a text from a friend and it said something along the lines of this. It said, you know, what would you suggest insert their kid's name here or any teen should do to focus on their future career? Yeah. I've got a lot of head scratching right now going on and trying to fill out required credits to, to graduate, but it doesn't seem like the best approach. What would you suggest instead? And Although this is one particular question, I have two emails in my inbox right now that are really similar. Uh, you know, one ranging from, "Hey, my kids are in elementary school, and I would love to you know, help them die, delve into what's going to create a compelling career for them now and instill that stuff early on, versus when they get ten or fifteen or twenty years into their career and they're unhappy for one reason or another and trying to make the change." It seems like that would be a better approach, right? And I'm agreed. However. I don't necessarily think that there is any one perfect path. And part of that is because what we do know is that kids and human beings in general are different. And because they're different, there can't be any one perfect path. So here's my advice. If you have small humans in your realm that you want to better prepare. Okay, so... This is also some of the things I'm doing and we're doing, Alyssa, with our own children imperfectly along the way and learning from on an ongoing basis. So the first thing that you want to do that is more important than any test they take, it's more important than any particular skill that they adapt. It's much more important than trying to get them into a certain program or certain school or anything else. That is expanding their exposure. Expose them to situations where they continually get to try new things and it creates a larger perspective and they have to continue to learn new things from the ground up. Now, part of the reason for this is so that they're actually continuously bad at things and they don't have a fear of learning something new or applying something new and they're getting exposure to not just one way to do things. That is, I guess you could say, probably the the skill that helps learn all other skills. <laughs> so it's, it is what sometimes we'll call like a foundational level skill. So that's, that's one thing, expanding their exposure. And we'll talk more about how we do that with our own children here in a little bit. Number two is doing hard things. There is a growing body of research out there that talks about grit. And by the way, there's actually a great book from one of the people who did some of that research, Angela Duckworth. It's called Grit. And in that book, she does a great job of making a compelling story for how how to develop grit in both children and adults. And that comes through doing hard things, doing and learning something hard uh, over spread across multiple years that you want to do. And the minimum is really two years. That's where you start to develop grit. And that's where you start to see behavioral changes around grit and perseverance in particular. So if you're thinking about kids, here's some rules to follow that come from Angela Duckworth's research. Number one, if you're looking and trying to identify something hard for your children or helping them identify something hard is more appropriate, it can't be with you. Can't be with the parents. Can't be. Also not at school because school is often a requirement. They have to be there. But instead, learning someplace else. Someplace where they have 
a different person teaching them. That's not their, not their school teacher. It's not you. And something that they're going to commit to for multiple years, two years at a minimum. Those are the things that actually are more important than the activity itself. Plus, of course, it has to be hard for them, right? Uh, And I know you've got plenty of examples of that, Alyssa, here in, in just a minute. But thing number three, before we discuss those examples, this one is, as you might imagine, near and dear to my heart because it has to do with strengths. So it is cultivating and developing the areas that they're naturally inclined to and they have a tendency to enjoy and creating and seeking opportunities or helping them seek opportunities for them to deep dive into those areas. Now, what I've found is sometimes as you're doing number one and number two, expanding their exposure or allowing them to do hard things, that actually turns into other additional opportunities for cultivating the areas that they're naturally inclined to because they get experiences there, they start to build skills there, they start to find that it caters to some of their natural strengths, and then it allows them to choose to go deeper. Um, my personal experience and some of the research indicates that the rest all the tests, all the individual skills, all of the other pieces just don't matter as much. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter at all, but it just doesn't matter as much. So if you have to prioritize these three things, expanding their exposure, doing hard things, and cultivating and developing the areas that they're naturally inclined to, i.e. their their strengths, what we call signature strengths, then those matter so much more. So on that note, how do you do that? (laughs) Well, yeah, not easily, right? (laughs) Sounds really easy when you put it into a nice little list, but in reality, it is an imperfect process. And that's, that's where you come in. I wanted to bring you on to showcase how we've done this well and some of the examples of ways that we've done it with our own children, but also maybe even some of the areas where we haven't done it as well and we've learned from it along the way too. For me, it's like this ongoing little psychological experiment (laughs) with our own children. Um, For you, you probably have a different perspective, (laughs) I'm guessing. You know, as, as you've delved into this, you know, thinking about this differently and had conversations over the years, what has surprised you about trying to raise children and prepare them uh, to move into a career, move into their overall career and and prepare them for, let's call it the real world? Well, I think I personally had to have some mental conversations and shifts in mindset. For those of you who don't know, I am a former educator. So I have a background in early childhood education and my views changed slightly after I had children and started raising them and started looking at careers and uh, world life experiences differently. And by Um, slightly, she means drastically. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, I mean, some of these answers 15 years ago when I graduated from college, I would not have ever imagined would lead to developing my children for future careers. And some things just came naturally to us, I think. Like, I don't, some things we didn't do intentionally, thinking, oh, we're doing this so that they'll be prepared for careers beyond high school and college. But then, as we actually just last night sat down and talked about this, it was like, huh, some of those things that we did maybe unintentionally are actually one, two, or three on that list there. And we didn't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we talk about some specific examples 
let's choose our oldest child for a minute here. She's been around the longest. Right. Let's, let's talk about her. Our oldest <laughs> child, her name is Mackenzie, and she is she's twelve at this point, right? So she's just getting into just getting into middle school. Just much to my chagrin, getting interested in boys, which <laughs> I, I thought I had another year or so, but apparently not. And lots of other changes along the way. So she's got all of these things going on. And at the same time, for many years, yeah, we've been focused on like how do we how do we prepare her for the world real world? How do we give her what she needs? How do we turn her into a productive, kind human being that is independent, makes good decisions, you know, is focused on growth and is exposed to areas that are going to be good for her over the long run? So no small task, right? <laughs> and if you have kids, you probably understand that already. So how would you describe Mackenzie's personality and strengths? Mackenzie is definitely, she has exhibited a lot of leadership qualities since she was small. We have seen that coming in her. And so um, some of those qualities, it's been easier to foster and help her to grow in. We always knew that she'd like to be the center of attention, but not in a negative way. She was always a good communicator. She loved to talk to people. Um, she loved to share things with people. She loved to get up on stage in front of people. And so actually, I guess it was five years ago now at this point, um, we had seen a drama camp and had talked to her about it. And we're like, you know, is that something you would be interested in trying out? And turns out she absolutely loved it. She went all by herself, which, you know, not all children at the age of seven or eight are interested in going to something where they don't know anyone there. And it was an all day event from nine in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon for a week. And it turns out she absolutely loved it. She loved learning how to speak and being up in front of people. And so it was at that point that we realized, huh, maybe we should foster that a little bit. Maybe we should help her find other ways to expand on some of those skill sets. Yeah. And interestingly enough, part of her personality is she's also very much an introvert. Mm -hmm. She also, even though she does enjoy being the center of attention, and even though she does enjoy uh, being able to teach and be active with people in those capacities that you just described, she needs time to recharge and needs a healthy amount of time away from other people too. So a lot of people look at that as in conflict, but for her, as we started recognizing that she just thrives when she can be the center of attention and also share her experiences and, and teach from her experiences or be able to add something to an audience or a group of people, then we started looking for other ways too beyond the drama camp. Now, one of the things that, uh, that we ended up doing was we signed her up for a, what would you even call that? It, like a speaking workshop, yeah. I guess is probably the easiest way to describe it. Mm -hmm. In actuality, it was, uh, I went and, and spoke at an event and, you know, we made a donation and that got us two tickets to this, this speaking workshop. And we thought, Hey, maybe Mackenzie would benefit from this. So we took Mackenzie to the, the speaking workshop and she flourished. She had the time of her life. She was uh, the youngest person there, I think by a long shot. And we had to get special permission because there was a lot of 
adult content for lack of a better phrase, but it was still an amazing experience overall and exposed her to a whole other set of skills and areas that really catered to her strengths. But what happened from there? It definitely didn't stop there. Uh, we started encouraging her to do all sorts of things. What were some of those examples? Um, well, it turns out actually after that, she kind of started seeking out. I think she realized she gained some skills there and realized that that definitely was an area that she was enjoying. She was able to learn new things. She's also a voracious learner. She loves to read. She loves to learn new things. She loves trivia. And so she kind of started seeking out opportunities to do things along the lines. And we'll get more into that. But all of the children, we have them play an instrument. Um, She chose piano. And from even within like three months of playing the piano, she wanted to play solos at church and at other events, even without really actually knowing how to play the piano yet. She wanted to um, be performing in front of people and working hard at learning something new. And she found some opportunities at school this year that we didn't even know existed. Um, She found an audition for a piano solo for a choir concert that she was in. She auditioned to be a conductor of the concert. And there was also auditions to be a speaker at the concert to introduce the songs and talk about the songs and things like that. And it turns out some of those skills she learned actually benefited her. She is the one that won the audition out of the entire middle school choir. She's the one that won the audition to be the speaker at the choir concert for Christmas So she definitely, after she realized what her strengths were too, started expanding on that and finding other opportunities. And and I think that's such a great example because that's how it happens. It's very much what we call a stacking process. It is, you go, you have exposure to something, you get some kind of indication that, hey, maybe this is something I could be good at, or maybe this is something I enjoy, or maybe this is how it could work in the real world. And then you experiment a little bit, and then you get a little bit more feedback. And then that leads to another thing, which leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. And then all of a sudden, in Mackenzie's case, you know, she's winning auditions and she won a speech contest last year. So got to present her speech in, in front of the, the whole school. And I'm not sharing with the, this with you to uh, brag on my children, although that's fun too, I suppose, but more just to help you understand how this stuff really works because it works the same way for adults too. The way that it works for children is actually the same way for adults. It becomes the stacking type process. And when you get those little tiny tidbits of feedback that allows you to decide, hey, do I want to get deeper? Do I want to dive deeper into any one of these areas? And then the process repeats you know, with one, two, and three, expanding your exposure, continuing to do hard things, and cultivating and developing the areas that you're naturally inclined to, you can go back and continue to repeat that for many, many, many other areas too. So with our kids, there's a variety of other things that we have done. Some of them have worked out better than others, but wanted to give you just a little bit of a showcase and idea for how that can work too. We've really focused on four different areas overall, like creating independent children, helping them make better decisions for themselves and helping them make decisions themselves, which doesn't sound like it should be a hard thing, but it's crazy hard, right? Trying to help them look at learning and growth by condoning failure and condoning mistakes 
and allowing them to benefit from those. And then also exposing them to things that they wouldn't get just through the normal course of, you know, going through school or course of living in Moses Lake or, you know, course of whatever else, just normal life, intentionally going out of our way to make sure that they have exposure to other things that are out there so that they don't get just one outlook on life. So we were having a conversation about what this conversation would be last night. And we talked about lots of different examples, but do you remember some of those? For which thing? Anything? Yeah. For creating independent children, (laughs) decision-making, exposure. I think one thing that you came up with last night that I thought was amazing, and I didn't realize how big of a deal it was, was starting early on with the concept of them dressing themselves. Tell me about that, because I know that you've had some crazy stares and looks and responses over the years and in places like mops or other groups of moms, for lack of a better phrase. What's the story behind that? So that was one of those like unintentional things. I didn't really go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to do this so that my kids can be independent and so that my kids can learn to grow into a career. But more a little bit out of necessity. Uh, If you don't know, we have three kids that are all 18 months apart. So, you know, there was a stage where we had three toddlers and an infant running around the house and it wasn't always easy. So from a really young age, I had the kids um, pick out their own clothes, dress themselves the best possible that they could, put on their own shoes if we were going somewhere, And then really, as soon as our kids started school, so about age four to five, I had them pack their own lunch and I would help them get it out or I would help them decide what they wanted. But I have, you know, in our youngest is in third grade this year. Our oldest is in sixth grade. And I have packed very few lunches, actually, for our children. Bonus. Right? (laughs) They do it themselves. And then as soon as they were tall enough and able to manage, they also started feeding themselves breakfast. You know, one of us was usually there to assist them in whatever they were doing, but they started making their own breakfast. And at this point now, you know, even on the weekends when we have more time and they want to make stuff, our kids know how to make eggs. They know how to make pancakes. They can make waffles. They now sometimes just pull out the recipe book and pick something out of it and start making it without our assistance. So like Scott said, yeah, bonus, like our kids do things independently, um, but it just kind of came about with just wanting them to be independent, but also I couldn't always be there to do all of it for them. And then, you know, once they started getting themselves dressed and making their lunches and making their own breakfast, it was kind of like, oh, hey, look at that. Like, our kids are little human beings. They can do things for themselves, and I don't have to do it all for them. And so, unintentionally or not, I think that that has led all of them to a really good place. Here's the thing that I think that I didn't realize until later. I mean, I know what all the research says, blah, 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 all the all of the nerdy scientific portion of it, because I'm really into that. However, I didn't realize when we started doing some of those pieces like you know, having them get dressed. That is something that it's a one of those pivotal choices or deciding what to eat or what to take for lunch. That's one of those pivotal choices that allows them to feel like they have more freedom. 
And with more freedom, they have a tendency to have more learnings too. Uh, like, for example, when they don't make a lunch, and they you know have to eat something in particular at school, or when they you know forget their lunch, mm-hmm. as an example. You know, those are all learnings that they get to have, and through the sometimes even negative impacts of of those choices, they still get really powerful movements towards becoming much more independent because they have the consequences or uh, or mistakes which can feel terrible like actually you know as a parent it kind of feels terrible when your kid goes to school and they don't have a lunch and you didn't realize that they forgot it and everything like that but guess what they only do it so many times because if if I'm making their lunch or you're making their lunch every single time, then they never. Then it's like we're deny, we're accidentally denying them the experience mm-hmm. of those negative consequences, and they learn crazy quick, mm-hmm. and that causes them to be more independent. And then we go back to the stacking process, and you know, with cooking is a great example. All of our kids have had cooking experiences. Not all of our kids enjoy cooking. Is that fair to say? Yes. <laughs> one in particular. <laughs> one one in particular. That said, though, you know, that's another opportunity where they can go through that one, two, three cycle and start to dive further into mm-hmm. the areas that they enjoy, mm-hmm. which creates more independence, more exposure, and you know, potentially more more areas of uncovering their strengths and knowing themselves better too. Right. Well, I feel like we know them better too because we have seen them experience some of that stuff. The one child in particular that really does not enjoy cooking. And it's not because he doesn't know how. It's not because he's not been exposed to it or tried it out. He just, at this point in his life, I mean, he's only nine, so maybe he'll change his mind, but he just, he doesn't enjoy it. It's not something he likes to do. He also doesn't enjoy doing the dishes, but he continues to do that. That was not an optional. (laughs) But I think it does help us learn about them too. Um, And that kind of comes back to, I don't know, maybe like the doing hard things or expanding their exposure. So like I said, Mackenzie had chose to play the piano. She wanted to play the piano. It was something she was interested in. And Camden, our middle son, uh, for whatever reason, uh, had always wanted to play the drums and um, us being the maybe crazy parents that we are indulged him and allowed him to buy a drum set (laughs) and play the drums. But our youngest child, Grayson, really exhibited no interest in an instrument at all. And it is something that both Scott and I felt strongly that we wanted them to learn some sort of musical instrument. And we didn't want to force him to learn something. It's one of those decision-making things. We wanted him to make a decision. We didn't want to force it on him, but we told him he had to pick an instrument, basically any instrument, but he had to pick an instrument to learn. We maybe swayed it a little bit because we have a lot of guitars laying around the house. So uh, he He did end up choosing guitar and we told him he wasn't super excited about it at first. And there are still some days I think he's not super excited about it, but we told him he needed to try it out that do hard things and persevere through something. He needed to try it out for a period of time. And then if he still really wasn't that interested in it and excited about it, then we would move on and find something different. And I would say Grayson is our hardest in that regard. We really I realized probably, I don't know, two or three years ago that if we did not push him to make decisions that um, he would perpetually do nothing. He would, yeah, he would just not make decisions. <laughs> 
And I don't know, maybe eventually he would have grown out of that on his own had we not started pushing him there. It's still difficult to get him to make a decision. So we're still working on that. But he does like to do things and he definitely expands in areas that he likes to do. Uh, He's just a little harder to push outside of his comfort zone than the others. Going back for just a second to the idea of dressing, you know, having the kids dress themselves at really super early ages and also the you know idea of having them make lunches for themselves that's that's hard it's not it's not easy and one of the biggest things that we find stops helping stops parents from helping their kids prepare for their careers and doing these three things that we've talked about you know expanding their exposure doing hard things and cultivating and developing areas that they're naturally inclined to that uh, you know create it really independent children is is not so much that it can't be done. It's just that it is. It's really difficult for a lot of reasons. Many that you don't really think about too. Like, what were some of the reactions that you got from people as you started to tell them about? You know, they they dress themselves. What were some of the reasons or questions that you got? I think mostly it was that look of you know when I had toddlers that were two and three dressing themselves. And I would be talking to other parents or other moms or whatever, and they're talking about fighting with their kids about getting their clothes on them or trying to get out the door. And um, not that we didn't have mornings like that, but, you know, I would go into or, you know, just mention something about the kids getting themselves dressed that morning and the other parents would look at me like, well, how did you do that? How did you get them to dress themselves? And I think my typical answer was I didn't give them the option. Like I wasn't going to put their shirt on for them or I wasn't going to put their pants on for them. It was something that they needed to do on their own. And it didn't always go right. Our kids wore a lot of backwards clothes (laughs) and a lot of inside out clothes, but they felt accomplished because they put it on themselves. And so I wasn't going to argue with them to fix it for them. Um, And it was okay with me to have them wear backwards clothes because I knew that they got themselves dressed. And that was, you know, two minutes that I didn't have to do something for someone else in that moment. I think that can be hard as a, as a parent though, because if your kid goes out with, you know, backwards shirt, like, uh, hair not totally comb whatever you know, it feels often like it says something about us mm-hmm. as as parents too yeah. right yeah so was that part challenging for you or was it uh, was that part you know just like yep you know, I'm like how did how did you sort through the mental challenge that I think a lot of people face for things like that uh, I think there's definitely a stigma there you know that I wasn't because so many people do it for their children um, and I wasn't doing it for them. And then they'd come out with backwards clothes on. But I think as soon as I started explaining that my kids were picking out their own clothes and putting their own clothes on at two and three, then they're like, oh, well, I guess maybe it really doesn't matter if the pants are backwards today because they did it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A couple other things. I want to just give you a couple other ideas that we use that worked. Some worked really well. Some worked less well. But something that we have decided to do in our in process is when our kids turn 12, we are helping them start their own own business and own way to earn income. So our first child hit 12 just recently. So we've just started that process. So I'll keep you posted on how it's how it's going. But that's something that I am really committed to because I want them to not only have the exposure to doing that, but 
I don't really care at the end of the day whether they own their own business or they work for somebody else or they work as a contract. Like none of that really matters to me as long as they're doing something that is meaningful to them and as long as they're doing something that fits the desires and choices that they want and they want to make. But I don't want I don't want them to be stopped from doing it because they haven't had exposure to it. And I want them to be able to have seen what it's really like and some of the hard work that goes with that. And even if they're working for another organization, I want them to appreciate what goes into really starting and running a business because it's <laughs> it's big. And then I believe that that gives them more choice. So that's one example. Letting them share different ideas that they've had for the business and those types of things have all been part of it too. Even if we're not, you know, even if the other kids haven't started their own business yet, then it's still a continuous discussion about, hey, this is something that's going to happen. Uh, you know, they float ideas all the time. So it becomes this experience even before the experience in many different ways. Another thing that we've done too is the same group that put together Clifton Strengths or Strength Finder, Gallup, has a child version of that assessment as well. And that's actually been really, really helpful. You know, what was, you were mentioning some things last night when we were chatting about this, Alyssa, you know, what did that do for you to read through that verbiage for say Mackenzie's strengths? I think it did exactly that. It attached verbiage to it. It definitely, after she took the test, we read through the strengths that it listed and it was like, oh yeah, check, check, check. Like that was exactly her, but it gave us verbiage to use with her strengths and with her, actually. And then um, the cool thing about the kids version, I thought, is that it gave examples of, um, so one of her strengths um, had some, I don't remember what the exact word was, but had something to do with public speaking. And so it literally said afterwards, help your child find events where they can public speak or be in drama clubs or things like that. So it literally listed exact examples of how to help foster those strengths that were showed on the test. So we knew Mackenzie liked public speaking and we knew she liked, you know, when she did the drama camp, we knew she was interested in that. But then to see it come out on paper with more examples of how to continue to cultivate that, I found that to be really helpful. And then like with our other two kids, you know, sometimes you can see um, strengths or things that they enjoy coming out, but you don't know how to, you can't attach a word to it because you it's a broad series of actions or things that you see them do. So it was just nice to attach words to what we are seeing in their personalities. And to start having that discussion with them too, so that mm -hmm. they connect it. At this point, Grayson, our nine-year-old, our youngest, he connects it at a completely different level than Mackenzie does. So Grayson understands that like math is easy for him mm -hmm. and Grayson understands that you know he's very good at strategic things like chess like he's in a <laughs> Tonight, actually, later tonight, we're taking him to chess classes and he's in a chess tournament because that's another area we wanted to expose him to because he's already exhibited a lot of those natural inclinations towards leveraging you know, the strategic part of his brain, right? And he understands that at a very... Very simple level, though, compared to, say, Mackenzie, who is three years older and understands that, hey, I really 
enjoy this type of context, uh, you know, getting up on the stage when I get to teach someone something else. And I enjoy that for these reasons. It's at a, it's at a slightly different level that is more, more suited to her development. But I wanted to share just a couple other things too. Talk to me about fostering failure. And I'm interested in hearing your perspective on it, Alyssa, because this is something that's been really hard for you because I don't think you were, is it safe to say that I don't think you were raised in a a household that really fostered failure or or said that that was okay or mistakes were okay? How how do you think about that? Yeah. And some of it, you know, it's one of those nature versus nurture things. I'm not sure if it's just also part of my personality, but I even still to this day struggle with failing at things. It's, it's a difficult task for me. (laughs) And so I think that I saw the importance of that in our children. And we have one child in particular who, again, nature versus nurture, I don't know but he struggles more than the other two with failing at things. And so it's hard for me to push him to fail at things, but I at the same time recognize that if he is not pushed to fail at things that he has that much harder of a time getting back up when he does fail at things. So I kind of have to push myself out of the comfort zone there a little bit in pushing him to fail because I, I want to protect him from that. But I know that that is not, um, that does not lead him anywhere and it doesn't help him develop that grit that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The conversation that I find myself having with the kids all the time is something along the lines of, Hey, yeah, you made a mistake. But what happens when you get what happens when you get to make a mistake? And then they sort of roll their eyes at me and they're like, I get to learn from it because that's something that I've told them over and over again. Mistakes are good. Mistakes are the best possible thing that can happen because when you fail or when you make a mistake, it is an opportunity to learn and do it differently. And it's a good thing as long as you're looking at that as an opportunity to learn and grow. Still get the eye roll along with it, but at least they under they understand uh, how it goes. And little by little, and I think you're talking about Camden, you know, our middle child mm-hmm. who struggles the most with it. He beats himself up a lot, and he's very hard on himself in that particular way. But now he has, you know, when I have that conversation with him, there's a lot less time in between you know, him feeling terrible about it and them him rebounding and being okay with it mm-hmm. than there used to be. <laughs> like we'd experience many, many hours, sometimes, you know, an entire day worth of uh, the rebound mm-hmm. where now it can be a matter of minutes. It's also interesting um, with him in particular, our kids are in martial arts and they have to earn stripes for certain things in order to move up to the next belt level. And he is our kid who, as soon as he gets a belt, he immediately starts testing to get his stripes, really even before he knows any of the material. Yeah, And he will do it on a weekly basis until he has it down enough to get that stripe. So sometimes he'll probably test 50 times before he actually earns the stripe. But I think mentally in his mind, it's that test and failure quickly that helps him rebound. So it's that immediate, okay, I did this right now immediately. Now I'm going to do it again immediately. Um, And actually, I think for him, that's a good thing to speed up that failure cycle so that he continues to experience it in a much quicker manner so that that rebound time is faster for him. In a much more positive manner too. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I think that is really, really important here 
is that all kids are pretty much they're BS detectors. <laughs> they they are BS detectors and they're hypocrisy detectors to crazy extents. <laughs> and what I found is that you know, if if we're doing something in a different way than what we're telling our kids to do is nowhere near as compelling to them. It doesn't sink in with them. They find reasons not to do it. It's just overall ineffective. So I think that you know, many parents email us or ask this type of question, like, how do I prepare kids for for their career? And, you know, not only are are we giving a different answer to that than I think what most people expect, and possibly a much more a much more longer term answer, but also at the same time, I, I think that unless you're doing this for yourself and unless you are taking steps to live the life or or pursue your career in the way that you want to and not settling then it, it might not matter if you're doing all of these other things for your kids so the very last piece of advice i'd love to leave you with is make sure that you're role modeling this for your kids doesn't mean you're doing it perfectly nobody does it perfectly yeah, i can't tell you the amount of times where uh, things that we've tried haven't worked or where we've had you know many tears and crying nights and everything like for things that aren't working with the kids or us sometimes we're the ones crying and but it doesn't mean that uh, that you don't do it and it doesn't mean you're not perpetually moving that direction and it doesn't mean that you're not choosing this for yourself too, before you're in a position to really be able to offer it to your kids at a different level. So make sure that you're choosing yourself first. Make sure that you are um, living your life and your career in the way that you want to so that you're role modeling that for your kids. And that's one of the best ways that you can do you know, number one, expose your kids to other new and different things than what they may have seen before. Alyssa, is there anything you want to share before we go? No, I think that that role modeling is important. And, you know, as well as um, being detectors of you, they will also call you out, Um, (laughs) you know, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing when they call us out and let us know, you know, hey, you're not rebounding from the failure or, hey, you're not very happy with what you're doing right now. How do you need to fix that? Um, So I think it's important to have that kind of an open relationship with your kids because it does. It helps them prepare themselves for real adult life, being a adult human um, and communicating with other people and then, you know, continuing the cycle with their own kids, hopefully. I appreciate that. I appreciate you for many more reasons than I'm going to share on the podcast nor have time to share. But I, I know that even doing this type of thing is outside your comfort zone a lot of the time, getting in front of the mic. Uh, so that is pretty awesome because it is it is practicing what we just talked about. So way to go. Thanks. Two thumbs up and some kudos for you. Hey, thanks, Liz. Yep. If this is not your first episode of the Happened to Your Career podcast, you probably heard somebody on here that their first step to work that they absolutely love, that fits their strengths and they're excited about was going through our free eight-day mini course to figure out what fits you. And we've had now well over 30,000 people have that as their beginning step to identifying what they want in their lives. And you can do the exact same thing. 
And if you're interested in that, it asks some really amazing questions to get you started in becoming clear on what you want and what you need in your career. And it's a great way to kick it off and determine what is most important for you moving forward. You can learn what you're great at so you can stop wasting time in your job and start working in your career. Uh, Even identify some of the internal blockages that are keeping you from fulfilling work and wealth and career success and begin narrowing down what you should be doing for work that's fulfilling to you. All you have to do is go to figureitout.co, that's figureitout.co, and get started today. Enter your email and voila, we'll send you the very first lesson. Head on over there, figureitout.co.